1: Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Peter Granger was born into a life that I bet was very different from probably just about anyone you've ever met. He grew up in a thatch roof, one-room cabin located in a remote mountain location in northern New Mexico. His mother, who he could hardly recall, died when he was just five years of age. That left his father a prospector as the sole caregiver for the young boy. Now, Dad, with the help of another prospector, did what he could to provide his son with the best education possible in a world with such limited resources. Over the years, his dad somehow amassed a library of about 200 math, geography, spelling, and general school books. And from early on, it was clear that Peter had a thirst for knowledge, and he feverishly learned all that he could from these texts. The first contact that Peter had with the outside world was at the age of 17 when the two men traveled for four or five days to the small town of Beaverhead. While in town, he encountered a woman for only the second time in his life. He had not seen a woman since his mother passed away 12 years earlier. Then at the age of 26, the worst thing that could possibly happen to Peter did occur. His father died in May of 1951. After burying him, Peter realized he was alone and that it was time to get off of the mountain. So he packed his mule with food, two guns, and other goods, and he began his descent down into the real world. His destination was, get this, the U.S. Army. He had read about the army in his books, and he concluded that his best option for a future would be to enlist. Sadly, his mule died along the way, and Peter had to continue on foot. He saw a car coming down the road, and he somehow mustered up enough courage to flag it down. And that's when two men stopped and offered to take him to the recruiting station in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this was a momentous event for Peter. While he had seen cars from the top of the mountain, he had never rode in one before. Along the way, the two men provided Peter with the first store-bought clothing he had ever owned. That included a pair of shoes, pants, and a flannel shirt. They then treated him to a haircut and a shave. After dropping him off at the recruiting station, Peter learned a few new things about the U.S. military. First, there was a process known as Selective Service, you know, the draft, and he had never heard about that before. Second, the Army recruiters refused to believe his story, but Peter stuck to it. He never changed a single detail. But let's face it, the Army probably didn't have a lot of volunteers at this time. In 1951, the Second World War was still fresh in people's memory and now the U.S. was involved in the Korean conflict. They really had nothing to lose by allowing him to join up. So they administered the Armed Forces Qualification Test and Peter scored a whopping 93. The newspapers of the day claimed that the average high school graduate scored a 35 on the test and one only needed a 10 to gain entrance. Peter Granger, Welcome to the United States Army. In early November, they shipped him off from Fort Sam Houston in Texas to the Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. Peter, along with 13 other men who had made the journey with him, was checked in at 12.20 p.m. on November 12th. But shortly after that, Peter told some of the soldiers that he wanted to go for a walk to see what the town had to offer. And that was the last that the U.S. Army ever saw of Peter Granger. Officials at Fort Sam Houston claimed to have sent nearly 40,000 soldiers to other military facilities, and Peter was the first one that they had ever lost. The next thing you know, he is spotted on November 16th in the not-so-nearby Waukesha, Wisconsin. His reason for going there was very simple. That is, he wanted to meet a 17-year-old girl named Carol Amidon and go on his first date ever. The two have been writing back and forth to each other ever since Peter's story broke in the national news. I guess that having met just one other woman in addition to your mom makes you do desperate things, and that includes going AWOL from the army. I have no idea how the date went, but Peter was back on the road the very next day. He said he had to leave to go back to Aberdeen since he was expected to be there on November 19th. Now Peter may have gotten on the bus out of town, but once again he never arrived at Aberdeen. So where in the world did he go? No one knew for 10 days until he was spotted by a tourist camp owner walking alongside a snow road 185 miles, which is about 300 kilometers north of the U.S. border. Sudbury, Ontario police arrested him for vagrancy on November 28th, and the next day they identified him as Peter Granger. And get this, he was a former Northern Ontario forest ranger. Yes, the whole sob story being raised in the mountains with no contact with the outside world was totally untrue. At least it was untrue to the rest of the world. In the mind of Peter Granger, it may just have been his reality at that very moment. Let me explain. You see, Granger was really a British 8 Army veteran who had served in Italy, France, Germany, Holland, and North Africa during the war. He was eventually nabbed by the Germans, sent to a prisoner of war camp, and repeatedly had his head clubbed with the butt end of a rifle as punishment. As you would expect, this caused damage to his brain and memory loss. After his escape from the prison camp, he was barefoot and lacking resources. Somehow, he was able to secure a mule that allowed him passage to the mountains. While there, Granger was befriended by an old man who allowed him to stay in his remote cabin. Does this kind of sound familiar? Anyway, he lived mostly on goat's milk and he eventually joined up to fight with Italian partisans. Granger contracted gangrene in one of his fingers and he was forced to give up fighting with these men. He hooked up with an American Army unit, and one of their surgeons recommended that his arm be amputated up to the shoulder. As he'd expect, Granger opted not to have that done, and he then ended up in a British hospital. They were able to save his arm. After the war was over, Granger left his wife and two children behind in their London home. He then headed to North America to try and establish a better life for his family. And that's how he ended up in Canada. He applied for a job with the Ontario Lands and Forest Department on August 21st, and he was appointed to be a forest ranger. Then he suddenly disappeared from his post. No one had any clue where he had gone until a few weeks later when the story of the shoeless hillbilly made the local newspaper. Many of the locals recognized Granger in the article's photograph and knew instantly that the story was pure fiction. After his arrest in Sudbury, a psychiatrist recommended that he immediately be admitted for treatment of head injuries and memory loss at the Sunnybrook Military Hospital. In regards to the Shoeless Hillbilly story, Granger told a reporter, I thought at first it must be somebody else. He added, They asked me if I remembered all that and I couldn't decide whether I remembered it or had just read it. It was just as if I had read about it. He continued, All I can remember was doing an awful lot of walking. It's happened before to me. I seem to get the urge to escape every once in a while, like when I escaped from the Italian prisoner of war camp. It was his wife, Helen, back in London, who realized that this was mostly him reliving his war experiences over and over again. According to Helen, he had apparently overheard a conversation that they were going to fire him from his ranger position, and that's because he was mentally unfit. Quote, it was quite obvious to me that the shock of having been deported made him lose all sense of the present. He went to America and relived his experiences. People mourn for the dead, but it is for men like my husband that they should mourn. His head wound resulted in his losing his memory. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide.
2: Ladies, to clean pots and pans, enamel, and wear faster than you ever dreamed of, discover new, improved 1950 Babo. now with revolutionary detergent action.
3: It's better than ever. Make surfaces sparkle brighter. It's
2: faster than ever. You save more time than even Babo could save before.
3: And here's the reason. You know about the new detergents, how they give whiter, cleaner washes with less time, less work. Well, the amazing detergent action in new Babo. Does the same thing for pots and pans, bathroom and kitchen fixtures. It rinses dirt away.
2: Rinses dirt away lightning fast. The time you save is simply amazing.
3: Because new 1950 Babo now works two ways.
2: One, new Babo dissolves grease quickly, melts away grease that causes 90% of your hard scouring work.
3: Two, New Babo's Revolutionary Detergent Action penetrates dirt, loosens it, rinses it away.
2: You call it a cleaning miracle. Surfaces sparkle brighter, you're through faster.
3: Try New Improved Babo for all your daily cleaning work. See how much more time you save.
2: Today, get the famous green can with the letters B A B O. New Improved 1950 Babo, now with Revolutionary Detergent Action.
1: That commercial for Babo cleanses from the February 7th, 1950 episode of. Nona from Nowhere. This particular episode was titled, Can Vern Convince? Nona from Nowhere was a 15-minute soap opera that ran on the CBS network Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. It only lasted for two seasons from 1949 through 1950. Babo cleanser was originally manufactured by the B.T. Babbitt Company. The company was founded by Benjamin T. Babbitt in 1836 in New York City, originally as a manufacturer of baking soda. Eventually, he branched out into the soap market and is credited with being the first to create and successfully market bar soap. Babo was a powdered abrasive cleanser, you know, similar to the containers of Comet and Ajax that you knew when you were a kid. Babo is one of those hard-to-find products, but it is still being manufactured today under license from the Dial Corporation by Fitzpatrick Brothers. As a side note, there's an old factory down in the Port of Albany that I have passed numerous times over the years, and it was quite noticeable because you know it's in a derelict state. But I recently learned that it was originally a Babbitt soap factory, although I have no clue if Babbitt itself was manufactured there. In other news, the papers reported on January 4th of 1935 that 56-year-old Summit, Tennessee resident James Besom had died. There's certainly nothing unusual about a death being reported in the newspaper on any given day, but how Beesom died was. It all started when he was stabbed by a woman. An ambulance picked Beesom up to take him to the hospital in Chattanooga, but along the way the ambulance crashed into a car, so another ambulance was sent to pick him up. It never arrived because it caught on fire. So a third ambulance was dispatched and successfully delivered Beesom to the hospital. Medical staff were able to stop the bleeding, they patched him up, and they discharged Bissom from the hospital. As he began the six-mile, or nine-and-a-half-kilometer, walk back to his home, he was struck and killed by an automobile. When 28-year-old Manuel Ramirez was laid off from his job as a laborer in the Chicago stockyards, he decided it was time to move back to his mother's house in Laredo, Texas. Lacking the necessary funds to make the trip, he instead jumped aboard a boxcar that he thought was headed south. Oh, how wrong he was. Instead, after five days of travel, the train arrived in Philadelphia on June 14th of 1955 with Ramirez locked inside. When workers unlocked the boxcar's door, they discovered what appeared to be the lifeless, nearly frozen body of Ramirez. It turns out he aborted a refrigerated boxcar that was loaded with sheep hides. Amazingly, doctors found he was only suffering from malnutrition and dehydration. He was expected to make a full recovery. And lastly, we have a story for those who buy into the whole NASA conspiracy. You know, that no one's ever stepped foot on the moon. Well, here is some more fuel to add to that fire. It was reported on August 6 of 1971 that the color video camera left behind by astronauts David Scott and James Irwin during the Apollo 15 mission worked great as it transmitted the liftoff from Earth's only natural satellite. But then it was NASA's turn to remotely operate the camera. It failed almost immediately. Astronaut Joe Allen, who was not aboard Apollo 15, commented, It was almost as if someone had turned it off. Possibly so. You see, there were some space writers who claimed that they saw something moving just before the camera died. One author attributed to the shadow of the flag left behind that was fluttering in the breeze. But then he quickly realized that couldn't be true. As we all know, the moon lacks an atmosphere, so of course there are no breezes there. So maybe the doubters are correct. Could this have been faked and filmed on Earth? Hmm... Well, that brings Episode 71 of the Useless Information Podcast to a close. You can find additional true stories just like the one you've heard on my website, uselessinformation.org, that's uselessinformation.org, and in the two books written by me, Steve Silverman. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can receive automatic updates when a new episode is released. You can do it for free through iTunes or just about any other podcast indexing service like the show on Facebook by doing a quick search for the useless information podcast. I know that I've mentioned my invention, the expandable universe on and off over the past few years, but a shortage of both time and particularly money have never allowed it to progress to the final product. I'm hoping that'll change shortly since I just finished editing a video for Kickstarter and I hope to launch the campaign shortly. For those who have never seen me before, it will give you an opportunity to see what I'm really like. Now, don't feel obligated to contribute to the campaign, but anything anyone can do to tell others, you know, to spread the word, you know, to friends, neighbors, newspapers, whatever, that would be greatly appreciated. I'll let you know shortly uh, when that goes live. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in the next time. Bye.